Hello and welcome to Tea Time Theology. My name is Ivy Swinsky and our guest today is the Reverend Stacy Allen. She is the chaplain of Brent House, which is the Episcopal Campus Ministry at the University of Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stacy. I am delighted to be here. So this season, we're talking mostly about one character of the Bible in each episode. And my first question to you is, do you think character makes sense when talking about people in the Bible? My first answer is yes. It almost feels like a trick question. Can you say more about about why you're asking that question? I think it's a very interesting idea because there are parts that like this actually happened. And like when we talk about history books, we don't talk about like the character of Henry VIII or something like that. But when we talk about the Bible, I feel like we do kind of use that language. And I think it also kind of brings in this idea of is language important and how we quantify things important? Right. No, I would say that character is is just fine. You know, the question of whether or not we understand certain of the uh, people presented in the stories in scripture, uh, existed in history, whether or not we agree on that, um, those characters take on a meaning and a significance beyond who they may or may not have been in history. So unlike Henry VIII, someone like Job or David or Miriam, uh, they, there is a meaning for those of us who hold scripture as sacred. Um, that that transcends any uh not any but makes them more than in quotes just history i'm going to be thinking about that question though you can change halfway through we can be in the middle and you'll be like actually i don't think you should be called a character (laughs) (laughs) that's something we've we've been talking about even just when thinking about what we want to do this season is is character even the right word and i think specifically in the book of Job, which is what we're here to talk about today i feel like language is so important in this book yep. and the language we choose to use so i just wanted to know if even just grounding ourselves in this idea of what are we even calling job in the context of this book in the context of the bible as a whole with the yeah. old and new testament and is there a difference between characters that are in the old testament versus the new testament as well yeah and I think it, it will also depend in the Hebrew scriptures on where you're, what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Job almost certainly was not a historical person. Um, the, the little bit that I know of the scholarship of the book, um, it, it, it was probably rooted in an old folk tale. 
the literary composition revealed like it's, it's pretty clear that the framing story has one author and the middle part is is someone else so there's so in in this particular case character is absolutely appropriate i am intrigued though by the idea of thinking about someone like again david who almost certainly you know has has historical roots yeah um what that means but again especially with david because he takes on uh, a significance uh both for jews and christians that transcend who he may or may not have been as a guerrilla fighter as king all of those things so we are talking about job and i will say the first time that i really experienced this book or mention is really a better way of putting it was i took a religion and ethics class in college so <laughs> encountering job for one of the first times in the context of an ethics course is very interesting mm -hmm. <laughs> i will throw that out first and foremost um but i just want to know first of all what are your initial reactions when you look at job because even just on the page which gets kind of boring but i'm a nerd for that kind of stuff it looks very much like the book of psalms like when i was flipping through a bible trying to find it i accidentally fell into psalms because it looks exactly the same and do you think there's an importance even just how it looks on the page the same way mm. talking about what sort of language we use so uh, i'm going to be absolutely honest here in a way that I'm not terribly proud of. I, um, the most, most of the time I spend with the book of Job is what gets read in the lectionary. So <laughs> the three or four Sundays every three years that we um, have those texts come up. It's the first, it's the first part of the framing narrative. Uh, there might be something from the middle where it looks like the Psalms. And then, uh, the the last two or three weeks are from the very end so mm -hmm. the last of the poetic part and the 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 closing narrative um because the rest of the book can, can is a lot yeah. <laughs> it's a it lot <laughs> both in terms of of quantity and it's easy to get kind of lost and overwhelmed in all of the the poetic language in there that just goes on and on and on and on. I mean, Job's friends don't stop talking. Uh, so, <laughs> but I think there's, I think there is a significance to that. There was something that the author was really trying to um, wrestle with that required um, all sorts, you know, the, the, the length of the poetry and the, um, extensive dialogue between him and his three friends and the weird newcomer who shows up toward the end. Um, and I think part, you know, I think you could probably argue that some of that is reflective of the thorniness of the fundamental question that the book poses. Why do bad things happen to good people? Where is God in the middle of all of that? And how are we to respond to our fellow humans who are suffering? Um, and there are no easy answers to any of that. And so the complexity, I think, of the, of the, um, of the text, I think, reflects the complexity of the question. 
I think that makes a lot of sense. The question I feel like is too hard to be answered in a sort of basic way. And so putting it into this sort of like poetry dialogue, I think is a very human way of trying to figure out and muddle through what is going on. So let's jump right into the main question that you <laughs> posed as well as what, what is the point of Job? And this idea of why do good things happen to bad people? Or switch that. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it occurs to me with what we were just saying, you know, the bulk of the text is not narrative. And I think one of the things that, you know, we often don't want to talk about is is the tedium of suffering, right? That that it just sucks, <laughs> and, and, it, and it doesn't seem to stop. And and there's a kind of I don't want to say boredom because suffering's not boring, but it can be tedious. Um, now I'm not saying that the text is tedious. Some might, but I'm not saying that. Um, so I think there is something even in that in that format that the that the short, clear parts are the narrative parts, you know, where there's action. But the bulk of the book is the just being with it and trying to make sense of it. So I think there's something really um, significant about that fact that so much of the, what, 40-odd chapters of the book are wrestling with this question with no plot development, right? Except for uh, uh, Eliphaz uh, showing up, right, out of the blue, and we still, with no context. Um, so there are a couple things with the book that I think are, are really significant. I mean, clearly, you know, the story is set up to say we have a good God who seems to be playing games with people's lives. The text does not shy away from that. Um, the character of Satan, which in Hebrew simply means the adversary, that's not necessarily the devil as we understand it, um, is hanging out in God's throne room. I mean, that this is, this is, you know, it's like, uh, without, uh, it's almost like two bros having a bet, right? About, about the, you know, the ants on the ground, uh, which is certainly how it can feel when you're in the middle of, of, of suffering, right? So the, the book is, is kind of fearless in positing the question. And it is, uh, I was thinking about this today, it is, it also is very, very careful to say, no, no, really, this guy had nothing, had done nothing wrong. And, and all of us actually have done something. But in it was really important for the book to say, no, let's clear away any of those questions of deserved suffering or logical consequences and, 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 and wrestle. The other thing in the book, and I just need to get this pet peeve of mine out of my system right up front. Um, we have the phrase in English of talking about someone having the patience of Job, which is 
the most misleading phrase I think you could ever find. Because if you pay attention to Job in the book, uh, he's not having it. He is not uh, uh, sanguine. He is not accepting of his fate. Um, he's mad and he's confused and he wants, um, there's all sorts of uh, juridical language in here of, of wanting to bring God to trial because this is not right and someone has to be held accountable. And so this idea that somehow Job is a book that encourages a kind of um, acquiescence, a kind of patience and submission to something without complaint is, is the most misleading understanding of the book and, and, and sucks it of so much, I think, of its healing power uh, if we don't allow Job to have his voice and if we don't allow Job to have his rage. Uh, I think that is, that. for a long time I really disliked the book, um, but I have come, uh, after preaching on it in several cycles of the lectionary, um, have really come to love it, uh, particularly when God shows up. So, yeah, so I think it's, it's, it is about that question of why do bad things happen to good people? And in that particularly uh, Jewish way, which I think is so brilliant of the, the, the understanding of having a God to whom uh, one can complain, with whom one can wrestle, uh, in a sense with impunity, uh, is, is such a gift. So it's not just the question, the question of, of what they call theodicy, right? The problem of evil, but it is also an invitation to throw the questions at God that you don't just have to give in. And I think that is, it's a gift. It's a real gift. It was like a mic drop moment. <laughs> um, no, I think that that, that is a way that I had never heard Job talked about. So I appreciated that of having it be this idea of having sort of like a God that we can be angry with. Cause I think that is one of the, the gifts that the Episcopal church gives us with our sort of denomination is being able to question and be angry in a way that isn't like sacrilegious or right. um, it invites us to those questions. Which, and and I, I want to be really clear. I think that is something we uh, get from the Jewish roots of our tradition. Um, it's and it's very precious. We see it. I think we see it even in Jesus, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus and uh, overturning the temples, I, the tables in the temple. There is. Um, yeah, the, the, those roots of being able to push back on God. Uh, it's all through the Psalms, you know? Yeah, it is. It is, definitely. Yeah. So well, we talked a little bit about Job's anger as to why this is happening to him. And I have always been interested in the friend's reaction and sort of their part 
in this story because I find them really fascinating because they react how I feel like a normal person would in that situation and in that context of what was happening in that something bad is happening to you so you must have done something sort of idea yep um and I feel like that is a part of our culture now in so many ways oh yeah like well we the thing that flashes in my head is um, I think about on social media and folks that I know who are dealing with some kind of chronic illness or disability. Uh, sometimes they'll they'll post and they'll say, I need to say this thing about what I wrestle with. Please, no advice on, you know, alternative medicine and have you tried this? And there's this... It's it's almost a you know the Facebook version of Job's friends of well if you're sick here let me tell you how to fix it you know that you must not you must be you must not have done enough you must be lacking in knowledge uh, you must not have consulted with the right experts uh, and a lot of people with chronic illness are like do not come at me with that. I'm the one who has to live with this. Yeah, I was I was doing some thinking about this today and looked at an article that um, uh, a biblical scholar I really respect uh, from Mexico. Her name is Elsa Thomas. Uh, she wrote an article about Job, and she starts out by saying that Job's friends start out right when they first come to him. They just sit with him in silence for seven days. They're just silent. Now, it could be that they were in so much shock that they didn't know what to say, which is how most of us are, how I am, you know, when confronted with um, Job-like tragedies in people that I care for. So they, they were fine at first. They just sat with him in silence because there was nothing to say. And then they had to start talking. Um, and I think so much of when we uh talk unhelpfully with someone who is suffering um it comes out of our own fear of a universe that doesn't make sense you know so when we the, the desire to say um, or the impulse to say you must have done something wrong or you haven't seen the right doctor or whatever it's our way of trying to feel more in control of our own lives because when we see someone suffering we know that could happen to me and so by by making it their fault with the illusion that i have been doing everything right right again in, in quotes i have the illusion that i'm going to be okay you know mm. that this isn't going to happen to me i think it is one of the hardest things to learn and requires, I think, a kind of uh, emotional and spiritual maturity, which I sometimes approach, but not always consistently, um, to be able to sit and acknowledge the depths of someone's pain and let that be. 
-hmm. Just say, I see you. I feel your pain. And then stop. <laughs> Just stop. Don't say anymore. Um, because I think so often what, um, and I think part of Job's frustration with his friends is, uh, and this is modern language that I don't know that he would have recognized, but he, he doesn't feel seen. He doesn't feel heard. He keeps saying, I keep telling you, I did nothing wrong. I have not deserved this. I, I feel like I personally have a, a sympathy for them because I feel like in a lot of that same type of situation, I am like a fixer. So I, when I am with my friends, I also want to help them figure out, okay, how can we move forward from this? I'm like a big believer in like, okay, there's a certain part of whining and ranting and like, you need to like have to sit, but then um, sort of like that moving on moment and they say it too it's the one it's the one thing I, I put a post-it note on before this and they say when will you end these speeches be sensible and then we can talk and I feel like I have said that to someone it's chapter 18 <laughs> if you're like at home looking through your bible yeah, it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna... it's chapter 18 um because they they start when when will you end these speeches be sensible and then we can talk why are we regarded as cattle and you considered and considered stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself to pieces in your anger, is the earth to be abandoned for your sake or must the rocks be moved from their place? Mm. And I feel like that's interesting. Oh, yeah. No, there's something, I think that is an important point. There's something there about there's something about um, what what it what what appeared in my head was a kind of chasm, right? That when someone is deep in suffering, they've kind of moved to another land, right? Mm. It, yeah. They don't live in the same place that we do, um, and it, you know, in some ways, the boundaries of their world often closes in because either. Um, their emotional pain or their physical pain, um, whatever's going on, there is a kind of limiting quality to suffering where I can only reach so far out, right? And I think, I think you make a good point in that there, is, there may be moments where there's a point of discernment of saying, um, I need you to build a bridge to the world that the rest of us are in right now. Uh, so that so that there you have a chance to to move off your island um and, and this is the trick because the person who's suffering uh needs to have a sense of agency because part of the point of suffering is you've you've lost a kind of agency right you did you something has been imposed on you that you did not choose and you cannot choose not to have it and so there's i think there's a balancing act between the, you know, accompanying someone in suffering and the person who's suffering to say, um, we want to remind you that there's a bigger world out here that we hope you'll be able to join us in. And the person who's suffering saying, I need to be here and I need you to hear me from where I am. And, and there, I think there can be a kind of dance 
Um, you know, I think about uh, Parker Palmer has written some really beautiful stuff about depression uh, and what it's like to be deep, deep in depression. And, you know, one of the things he'll, t he'll talk about is, is his, 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 uh, his Job-like friends uh, or the friends of Job-like friends would come and say, oh, you know, you'll feel better if you just go for a walk, right? Go outside, which is not an untrue thing, right? Even science will say, you know, going outside, getting some sunshine can be helpful, but it wasn't the fix, right? Um, he tells a story of a friend of his who would just come once a week and uh, wash his feet, literally would wash his feet and massage them. Didn't talk to him, just would do that. And that was, that was, and that feels like that was that moment of building a bridge kind of with Palmer's consent out to the outside world that he could then build on as, as he was able. But, but there's, there's no map for this. There's no, there are no set rules for when do you say to someone, just get up off your butt just let's just go for a walk let's just get out of here right or you need to make a decision or you need to 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 do a thing right because sometimes that needs to happen I've had people do that for me and honoring where the suffering person is you have to improvise it you have to act in love you have to go with a very very gentle touch um and and kind of exquisite instincts to to where where to go yeah. I'm going to ask you a question and you can choose not to answer it because I also <laughs> don't know the answer, but I wonder if Job's friends, because what you're sort of talking about error, because you, you need to follow the person, but you don't know what's going to help them get out of this funk. Um, and I wonder if Job's friends weren't given the chance to have that trial and error sort of because they did the right thing they did those like seven days in the beginning of being quiet so is it also sort of them trying to figure out yeah. what would work to get job out or is it that when they realized that job was never going to be the same job again that they then sort of gave up and wrote him off i i don't know the answer to that other than the answer that the book gives and the book of Job says they didn't get it right. They didn't get it right. True. <laughs> so, sort of. Although the book has them talking at length for a reason, right? Which gets to that bit at the end that I think is so, so important. So the last bit, and this was, this was I, I got my intention drawn to this today. Let me find the, the citation. Um, so Tom has when she's talking about what happens with Job in the book. She talks about Job's ability, not just to, to argue with God, but to maintain his dignity. And she cited his last speech before God appears in the book. And this is chapter 31, um, about verse 35. He says, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. So he wants to know like what the accusations are against him. 
Surely I would carry it on, on my shoulder. I would bind it on me like a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. I mean, he is saying, I am going to, I can hold myself tall even if I'm carrying these accusations, right? There's a kind of dignity he carries. And this is the last, these are his last words before God appears. So then God shows up in this whirlwind. And, and then God starts talking at length. I can't remember how many chapters we get to hear God, but it's, it's, a, it's several chapters of. Um, it's like two full ones. Yeah. Like 38 to the end. Yeah. Which is to 42. And so it sounds harsh, but God shows up and says, basically, you're God and I'm God and you're not, right? Where were you when I made all the things? Where were you when I figured out how the wild animals work? Where were you when the mountains were made? You weren't there. I was. <laughs> Which seems harsh, right, at first. And, and so God goes on and on saying, I'm God, you're not. And Job's reaction is, is really striking. But those words were the words of, of Job just, before, you know, his last mm -hmm. words before God shows up. So, um, I mean, and the, and the images in what God says are just beautiful, you know, about all of the, the, the things of nature. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing stuff. And so after all of that, Job's answer is, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then there's this tricky, this tricky line, which is tricky to translate from what I understand. He says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes, which at first sounds like Job saying, oh, I'm sorry, I, this is, you know, you get to do whatever you want to me, God, and I shouldn't have complained. And I don't think that's what's happening. I think what has happened is that Job, in a way that you can never predict or control or even ask for, but it happens in the midst of his um, suffering and in the midst of his wrestling with God, God has opened up his vision in, such, in, in, a, in a kind of transcendent way. It's reminding me, there's a, there's a song that I just heard um, that has moved me a lot called, uh, it's by the, oh shoot, what's their name? The Bengsons? They got to be, they got big at the beginning of the pandemic with a thing called the Keep Going song, which just was marvelous. Uh, yeah, the Bengsons. Uh, they just put out a song called My Joy is Heavy. Uh, which is a response to a lot of tragedy that happened over the course of the last year in their lives. And I think that it kind of reflects what, what jo what's happening with Job, that in the midst of his suffering and in the midst of the wrestling with God, he, God opens up this, this connection with God that it is transcendent right and and there are no words and 
Job kind of understands himself in the context of everything. And using language that we hear throughout religious traditions that when people come face to face with the profoundly holy, you'll hear language like I'm not worthy. And it's not a way of saying, I think I'm a horrible piece of mud. It's I understand myself in context. I understand who I am in the midst of the enormity of the universe. And I feel small, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Can I ask you a question that also might be completely wrong and you can shut it down? <laughs> Is there, we get, um, you are dust and to dust you shall return for Ash Wednesday from? That's a hard one. <laughs> Oh, I feel like this is this is a, an ordination exam question. Um, so sorry. So you I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, well, in part of it, no. In part of that, that the um, I think it mostly comes from Genesis, from mm -hmm. the creation story of of Adam being created from the dust, and I believe. Okay, I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna look this up because it's gonna bug me. I am pretty sure it it might be uh, part of the curse at the at, when they are cast out of the garden. Um, yep. No, actually, uh, you are destined to dust. You shall return. Is when Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden, and they are going to experience death. So God says, um, "By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground." out of it you were taken you were dust into dust you shall return um but there is there is an instinct there i mean literally the the root word of humility is is humus dirt it hmm. is about it's about um not dirt as worthless but being really grounded hmm. and and having uh, a very true and honest sense of who you are in the midst of everything. Um, and I think what, what we see in Job in that moment and what I think, you know, since we're in Lent, uh, what uh, we have to deal with or what we are invited to, to do in the midst of Lent is to do that, is to open ourselves up to God and say, show me who, my, who I am. And I am, you know, a beloved and delightful child of God at that, that who God delights in, right? Um, and I am flawed and frail and sinful. And sometimes I really muck things up. Hmm. And I'm not the most important person in the world, <laughs> except when I am, right? So I think in the, in the, in the moment of, of this, this amazing, uh, confrontation between God and Job. This sense of repentance is not about Job saying, oh, you're right, I, I screwed up. It's about Job saying, okay, okay, I see who I am. It doesn't answer the question of suffering. And I think part of the point of this exchange between God and Job is that this is not a question that can be answered. Mm. It's a kind of of absurdity to the existence of the question that means that there is no 
answer. Any answer that would logically make sense to that question, mm -hmm. um, I think shows up the absurdity of the question in the first place. If you posit a good God, the question cannot be answered straightforwardly. Mm -hmm. And so I think what the, what the brilliance of the author of Job is to say, there is no answer. The only answer is a response from God and from me to God. Hmm. And part of the reason I feel so, so, so sure, pretty sure about this is that right after this, it sounds like God has been yelling at Job and that Job has repented for doing something wrong. But then God turns to the friends and says, Job got it right. Hmm. And, and, and the friends have to repent. Mm -hmm. Which then gets to the other piece of the book of Job that haunts me and that doesn't get talked about a lot. And that's Job's wife, mm. who is not named. Uh, she gets, she's often caricatured in a way at the beginning, almost in a kind of shrewish, shrewish way where you know all of this horrible stuff happens and she says why don't you just curse god so you can die and there are two things that strike me about that a it could be that that's actually she's trying to offer him a way out of his suffering right it might have been a kindness it was too hard for her to see him suffer. And B, she might not have been covered in boils, but she also lost all of her children. She also lost all of her livelihood. And I'm not sure where she is in this whole book. I suspect she's making sure all of these people get fed for the, what, two weeks that that they're all sitting there in the ashes, right? You know, it doesn't say that the four, that the friends sitting with Job for a week were fasting. Someone had to feed them. So what was Job's wife doing through all of this? At, she doesn't appear again, except she's implied. So you were talking, when we were first talking, you talked about how at the end where like he gets all his stuff back and he gets more kids and it's all fine, which we all know it's not. <laughs> no. You know, you, replacement kids are not a thing. They're, they're just no. not. Um, however, in order for Job to have those 10 children again, he wasn't going to do it alone. It meant that his wife had to be willing to be intimate with him at least 10 more times. Mm -hmm. And in discovering that she's pregnant, choosing to keep the pregnancy, because there have always been ways of ending yeah. pregnancies. She had to be willing to live with the risk of losing the pregnancy because miscarriages happen. 
She had to be willing to live with the risk of dying in childbirth. And she had to be willing to live with the risk of losing the child after it was born because infant mortality is a thing, particularly in the Bronze Age. So there is someone behind Job and, and next to Job in this story. Um, hmm. I, want, I want that movie. I want that yeah. graphic novel, right? Yeah. Because there is something about Job's wife's faithfulness in all of this. That's the authors who almost certainly were men because men wouldn't write about replacement children in that Because men, women would not write about replacement men children in that way where there's a whole other piece of what it means to suffer a whole other story that isn't told in that book and is implied in the fact that Job and his friends could have that whole debate that's implied in in what God gives to restore Job at the end can't be done without his wife Mm. and you know I, I haven't thought through it too much but it seems to me that there is something there about our own questions about suffering of um the fact that we can't do this alone even job and his unhelpful friends he doesn't do it alone um he doesn't do it without his wife uh there are some there is some tradition that this might be a second wife I'm not a there's there's the text doesn't tell us either way, but I I I I have no reason to believe this is not the same wife from the beginning. But what it means to move on to maybe you know to use that 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 metaphor of the island right to move off your island with your suffering, um to whatever the new life is beyond it right, um you are bringing your suffering with you, the grief that that Job and his wife carry, from the losses they sustain don't go away but they they make the choice to move forward with their lives carrying that with them but it's not done alone they're together and i think there's something really profound about that and and maybe even profound about the fact that it's not commented on because that's just what you do with people you love right? mm, yeah you walk with them you stay with them you, you make sure people have enough to eat. You continue to express affection and intimacy with each other. You continue to make plans for your future, even though you know better than anybody at that point what the risks are, right? That, that, that last bit to me is a testament uh, to that tenacity of humans to move on, even when we know what we're risking. So would you say, the person who got it the most right was Job's wife. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I had not thought about it in exactly that way, but I would be, I'm inclined to agree with you. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's interesting that for someone who's lost everything, God didn't take away the human connection. I think not that I'm deciding what God was thinking or anything, but sort of the idea that that would have been a step too far to take yeah. away the friends and the wife. Would that yeah. have then been the step too far to push? Cause it, it is interesting that this man has lost everything 
accept that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think there is something profound to that. And, and what does it mean even about the character of Satan, right? The adversary in this, that, that even he does not ask for that. Mm. Mm. Oh, the what ifs are intriguing. Yes. <laughs> oh my. Well, that will be lots of food for thought. Oh, I, I'm now I'm looking forward to to the next time this comes around in the election year. I'm gonna have so much more to do with it. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, I wanna thank you so much for being with us today. Um, if people want to connect with you and with um the chaplaincy you have our campus ministry is there a way for them to connect i'm not great about social media i'm i'm getting better but um uh brent house is on facebook and instagram and twitter um in some version of brent house or brent house chicago uh, i can be reached directly at my email which is stacy allen s-t-a-c-y-a-l-a-n at brenthouse.org Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This was so much fun, Ivy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad you reached out. I'd be happy to do this again. school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at tea, for the saints of God are just folk like me, and I mean to be one too.